If you would, turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Be reading Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18 before the lesson this morning. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Therefore, the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when, he, when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. It's great to see you this morning. I want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers among us. We're so thankful for fathers. We're especially thankful for godly fathers, men who want to raise their, their children in a way that pleases the Lord. Those kind of men are far too rare in our world, and we need their tribe to increase. And we're thankful for you, those godly fathers among us. We're really glad you're here. I know we've got some visitors among us, and we're thankful that you've come our way, that you're worshiping with us this morning. If we can answer questions for you, we'd love the opportunity to do that. So give us a minute to just get to know you after services, if you don't mind. Um, the elders have asked me to make this particular announcement. I'm wearing this morning my name tag. I don't always wear it, but my name tag says John Baker, and it says minister underneath. You'll find some guys around um, after services and their name says elder underneath their name. And I want you to pay special attention to those guys whose, whose names say elder uh, on their name tag. They want you to know that no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, if you have something on your heart, on your mind that you'd like to talk about, that you'd like to pray about, they want you to reach out to one of them. So if there's something that you're really struggling with, if there's something that you'd like to pray about, if there's something that you'd like to know about, maybe, you know, why did this happen in the service or why did the preacher say this or that? I mean, come talk to me if you want to, but the elders especially would like for you to come and visit with them. Uh, they want you to know that they're available. They're usually standing at the back entrances as services are over. Uh, this won't be the last time we talk about this particular thing, but you know, we, we offer an invitation at the end of our services and a lot of people maybe are kind of reluctant, especially nowadays, to maybe come down the aisle and ask for help or ask for prayers, but you still need people to pray with you and pray for you. If that's you, then reach out to one of the men whose name tag says elder, and they would love the opportunity to talk with you, to counsel with you, and to visit with God about what's going on in your life. So please take advantage of that, and it will do their hearts good. It'll do your heart good as well. Open your Bibles, if you haven't already done so, to Hebrews chapter 2. I suspect that in the years to come, if the Lord allows the world to stand, I suspect that it's going to become ever harder to live as a Christian in this world. It's hard, it's already difficult, but you can just see all kinds of trends and all kinds of things taking place and doing what's right and standing for what's real and what's true, 
you can just see that it's going to become harder and harder and harder for people who love the Lord and who want to obey his word to, to be faithful, to stand for what's right. And all of us, because we're human, we kind of struggle with that because we ask the question in our minds, in our hearts, if not out loud, if God really loves us, if he's really on our side, if God really is all powerful, then why are things the way they are? And, and why is it such a struggle to be honest in the workplace when I, when I do my work faithfully and honestly and, you know, it, I, I'm not able to get ahead. The people that get ahead are the people that cheat and manipulate and, and, and change the numbers around in, in unethical ways. Or why is it so difficult in a family relationship to be a godly person? When the people around me and the, the people I see portrayed on television and the families I see around me, they're, they're anything but godly. Why is it so difficult? If God loves me, why is it so difficult for these things to take place in my life, for me to stand and do what's right? Why do I get such pushback? When all I wanna do is serve God and please him and all I wanna do is love my neighbor as myself, if that's the way I'm trying to live my life, why is there such resistance? That's a great question. And if you haven't asked that question, one of two things, either you haven't been trying to do what's right for very long or, or maybe you're just not trying to do what's right. But if you're trying to live for God, if you're trying to follow his word faithfully, sooner or later, that question is going to come to mind. The book of Hebrews is for you. Why is it so tough sometimes to live a Christian life? Why is it so difficult sometimes to face the opposition that the world pushes upon those who are trying to do God's will? The book of Hebrews is for you. Hebrews chapter one talks about Jesus. And I think if we're gonna face any problem in our lives, the place to start is by looking to Jesus. And Hebrews chapter one tells us about how Jesus is the express image of God. He is the very, he, he is the revelation of who God is, Hebrews one verse three. And not only that, he is way better than the angels, Hebrews chapter four, uh, Hebrews chapter one verses four through 14. It deals with the deity of Christ. He is God, he is fully God. He is God dwelling in bodily form, Colossians chapter two, verses nine and 10. But then Hebrews chapter two deals with the humanity of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The humanity of Jesus. The fact that even though he's God, he was made a little lower than the angels. He became like us. He became, to say it this way, he became one of us so that he could provide blessings to us. And if you're looking at Hebrews chapter two, I want you to look at verse nine. The Bible says that he was made a little lower than the angels. If you look at verse 11, it says, those who he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified, that's us, are all of one. He's like us. Hebrews chapter two, verse 14 speaks about he partakes in flesh and blood. And Hebrews chapter, four, chapter two, verse 17, speaks about how Jesus had to be made like his brethren. He's like us. He becomes one of us. So even though he's divine, he is God and fully God, and he never gives that up. Hebrews chapter one, he still takes on flesh and he becomes one of us, Hebrews chapter two. And here's the logic. Now that we're in Hebrews chapter two, I want you to look at verse eight. The Bible says, 
In that God put all things in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now, Hebrews 2 verse 8, we do not yet see all things put under him. That's the question I was asking earlier. Why is it that we, when we try to please God and do God's will, we face such opposition? Why is that the case? It's because we do not yet see all things put under him. Even though Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, there is a time and we're living in that time when God allows men to choose how they're going to live. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3 verse 9. And therefore evil continues and suffering continues and people that do the right thing oftentimes suffer for doing what's right. We don't yet see all things in subjection. But look at verse nine. What do we see? Look at Hebrews 2 verse 9. What does it say? But we see Jesus. We see him, some translations say. So the idea of the scripture, the passage here is, when we're struggling to do the right thing, we ought to turn our eyes to Jesus. And we ought to remember that he became one of us, that he was made a little lower than the angels so that he might taste death for everyone. We're supposed to remember these things about him because he is our great example. He is the pioneer of our salvation. He is our high high priest who is merciful and faithful. This passage is about his incarnation. It's about Jesus becoming human, not giving up his divine nature in any way, but becoming human like us, and the blessings that come to us because he made that decision. Three ideas that we need to consider this morning from Hebrews chapter two, verses nine through 18. Notice in the first place, in Hebrews chapter two, verse nine, the grace of his incarnation is in view. Hebrews chapter two, verse nine reads this way, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. The grace of God is what caused Jesus to come to this world and to die for us. That's what the passage is saying. It's 2 Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine. The Bible says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, even though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through him might be made rich. Jesus came to this world and it was an act of grace. He did not have to do what he did. He was made like us, as you look at the screen there. He was made like us. In Hebrews chapter two, there are three classes of beings. In Hebrews chapter two, there are three classes of beings. There is God, there are the angels, and there is man. And as you look at Hebrews chapter two and verse eight, and then again in verse nine, the argument is made that the order of those beings goes like this. God is supreme. And God created all things, the angels are subject to him, they are beneath him, and then man is made a little lower than the angels. You see that in your passage? That's the order. And the Bible is saying that when Jesus humbled himself and was born of Mary back in the manger in Bethlehem, that what Jesus was doing was, even though he is divine, he was being made a little lower than the angels, one of us. 
That was an act of grace. Jesus did not have to do that. He did not have to make that decision. And the Bible goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, that he humbled himself and he came to this world, made a little lower than the angels, so that he might suffer and die and be crowned with glory and honor. You see that expression, crowned with glory and honor? The way the passage reads in the original goes like this. Jesus suffered and after he had suffered, he was crowned with glory and honor. Jesus is God. He is divine in his nature. Everything about him is glorious and everything about him is honorable. But the glory and honor being spoken of here have to do with his victory over sin and temptation and death. Jesus came and he ran the race perfectly. And because he suffered and died and never sinned against God, he is therefore crowned with glory and honor. We ought to exalt him and honor him because of what he has done for us And then the Bible says in Hebrews 2 verse 9 that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. That's an interesting expression. Tasting death for everyone. You ever go to maybe your grandmother's house and she's just a really good cook and you know that she's got something good, whatever your favorite dish is, there it is on the table and you can see it and you can smell it, but you haven't tasted it yet. And more than anything, you want to taste it. Grandma's great recipe, grandma's great dish, whatever it is, you see it. And that's one thing, but to taste it is a whole world of difference, isn't it? And the Bible says about death that Jesus came to this world so that he might taste death. He might experience death. And the death that he experienced is for everyone. Brothers and sisters and friends, listen. Jesus came to this world and he came specifically so that he could die. And his death means something different than everybody else who's ever died. His death is unique. It's unique in that his death is not just him. His death is for everyone. The effects of what he did can pass to all of us if we so desire. It is grace in action. Hebrews 2 verse 9 is profound to contemplate. When we are wondering, why is the world pushing back so violently against me when I'm trying to do the right thing? Why is it so difficult sometimes to do what God wants me to do and everybody else is telling me not to? All the circumstances in my life are showing me that this is the wrong decision, even though God says it's the right one. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to look to Jesus and think about the grace of him coming to earth the incarnation, the fact that he came and he did what I am now having to do. But not only the grace of his incarnation is in view here, notice if you would at Hebrews chapter two, two, verses 10 through 13, the logic of his incarnation. There's logic involved in all this. There's a reason why Jesus had to come. It says in Hebrews chapter two, verse 10, for it was fitting, it just fits. It's natural. It's the right thing. This is the fitting thing for him to do. It is fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things. We're talking about God the Father here. It's fitting for him in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. That's verse 10. The passage is saying 
that God created the world and everything in it. And God created the world, not just kind of as a side project. God created the world for his own glory, for his own purposes. Isaiah 43 verses seven through 10 talk about that. Ephesians chapter one, verses three through nine. We are created, we're here for the praise of God's glory. Everything's been created to glorify him. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Everything in creation is supposed to point to God and point to his greatness. Psalm 19 verses one through four. We're here to glorify God and God's design in creation was that he wanted, because he foresaw that we were gonna sin, he wanted to bring many sons to glory. So let me put this in a little bit plainer terms. God created this world and he allowed you and me to make a choice and we chose the wrong thing. We chose to sin and yet God said, I'm not willing just to let you go away from me and be lost forever. I want to bring many sons to glory. I want to invite all of you back to myself. I want all of you to share in my glory and to share in the good things that are involved in being in my presence, Psalm 16, verse 11. So because God wanted that, the Bible says it was fitting for him to send a pioneer, a captain, a author of our salvation and to make him perfect through sufferings, verse 10. What the passage is saying about Jesus is this. Jesus came to this world and he always did what was right. He always did his father's will. There was never a time when he refused to do what God told him to do, never. And because Jesus always did what was right, the forces of temptation and the forces of opposition were as difficult for him and as much against him as they ever have been against anybody who's lived. As a matter of fact, if you wanna think about temptation as a wind that blows against you, you and I, we oftentimes give in to temptation when we have a little 10 mile an hour breeze. Jesus took a category five hurricane force wind throughout his entire ministry, temptation against himself, and he never gave in, he never gave up his resolve. And through the sufferings that he endured, the Bible says he was made complete, he was made perfect. What Jesus is doing is he's demonstrating a really big scripture principle. Listen carefully. The scripture principle is this. First, we suffer for doing God's will. Then we experience glory. That's a really major Bible principle. It's as big as the principle of unity, as, as the principle of love. First, we suffer for doing the will of God. Then we experience glory later. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. First Peter chapter five, verse seven and eight. We are to listen to God's word and obey his will. And the pattern is that then we experience glory. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter two, verse 10, that that is exactly what Jesus did. He is the pioneer. He is the forerunner. And as we look to Jesus, what we realize is, number one, the difficulty and the temptation that I'm experiencing is nothing compared to what he experienced. And number two, this is the pattern. This is the path. Following Jesus means that I do what's right even when I suffer, especially when I suffer. And then as you look at Hebrews chapter two, verses 11 through 13, the scripture argues that he had to become one of us in order to show us this path. In verse 11, it says, both he who sanctifies, 
that's Jesus. And those who are being sanctified, that's Christians, are all of one. That means we all partake of flesh and blood. For which reason? Notice blessings that come from Jesus. Because he became like us, notice the blessings that result. There are three of them in this passage. Blessing number one, Jesus regards us as brethren. He regards us as brethren. It says in verse 11, he is not ashamed to call them brethren saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. He's talking to God. I will declare your name to my brethren, Jesus says. In the midst of the assembly, I, Jesus, will sing praise to you, my father. That's what's being said in verse 12. The idea, brothers and sisters and friends, is this. When we become Christians, when we decide to put our trust in Jesus, that he's going to save us from our sins, that he's going to be our pioneer, he's going to be the captain of our salvation, we're going to follow him because he suffered and then he found glory and we're going to suffer so that we might find the same glory that he found. When we decide that's what we're going to be all about, Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brethren. In that sense, I will declare my God's character, I will declare my God's glory among my brethren. That's a blessing. But not only that, a second blessing is that he models what it looks like to trust in God. Look at verse 13. And again, I will put my trust in him. When we're discouraged, and I know a bunch of us are, when we're discouraged about what's going on in the world, we're discouraged what's going, about what's going on in our lives especially, when we find discouragement, you know where we ought to look, you know where we ought to turn our, li- our eyes? This passage is saying we see Jesus. We ought to turn our eyes to him because what he does consistently is he models what it looks like to put our trust in God. And sometimes people walked away from Jesus when he was preaching. This is a hard saying, teacher. We're not going to listen to this anymore. Sometimes people ridiculed and mocked when he was teaching. Sometimes people whispered and, and said things that were unkind and flat out untrue about him. Sometimes those things happen and he put his trust in God. He models what it looks like to trust. That's what the passage is saying. I will put my trust in him and he's showing us by his example, this is what we do in being faithful to God. We commit our trust, our our souls, our lives to a holy God. And then a third blessing is found again in verse 13. Here am I and the children whom God has given me. It's interesting in the same passage that the Bible puts the words in the mouth of Jesus. Jesus says to God, I will declare your name among my brethren. And then in the very same passage in verse 13, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. We are both brethren and we are children, all in the same passage. And the idea here is, brothers and sisters and friends, third blessing. We are held in the palm of his hand. We belong to him. And like a good father, if you will, God is not going to allow anything to happen to us that is not for our ultimate good and his ultimate glory. Here I am and the children you have given me. Therefore, we can trust in promises like this. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purposes. Romans 8 verse 28. We can put our trust in promises like this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things that you worry about will be added to you. 
namely what you eat and what you wear, Matthew 6, 33. Here I am and the children that you have given to me. The logic of his incarnation is this, brothers and sisters and friends. Jesus came to earth to show us the path and then to provide blessings for anyone who wants to follow him. All you need to do is put your trust in him and start walking as he walked and living as he lived and thinking as he thought. Because the logic is first we suffer and then we experience glory. First Jesus suffered and now he experiences glory and he invites you to come to him and follow the same path. That's the logic. Third, this morning, as you look at Hebrews chapter two, verses 14 through 18, the effects, the effects of his incarnation, the fact that he came to earth, he did some things that nobody else could ever do. There is nobody else in your life, in your experience, there's nobody else in history who can do for you what Jesus can do. Listen carefully, Hebrews 2.14, inasmuch then as the children, that's us, have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, that's Jesus, likewise has shared in the same. He became like us. So that through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Now, somebody says, hold on, hold on, hold on. The devil's still around. I mean, doesn't Peter say in 1 Peter 5 verse 8 that the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour? Doesn't the Bible say we ought to beware of his devices? 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Doesn't the Bible say that our, our adversary, the devil, is the father of lies? John chapter 8 verse 44. Yes, all those things are true. The word has to do with Jesus has wiped out any kind of power or hold he has over us. By his death, he has destroyed the power of death and the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Next, it says in verse 15, by his death, he releases those who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. Jesus teaches us about what happens when we die. He teaches us about how to think concerning death. He brings a new understanding of what death is and what happens when we die. And the Bible teaches that because of what Jesus did in coming to this world and suffering and dying for us, that his death not only has benefits for everyone who wants to follow him, but it also teaches that his death releases us from the bondage and the fear that people experienced before he came. He delivered us from the fear of death. You know, without a savior like Jesus, the only thing people could look forward to is an eternity of paying for our sins, an eternity of, of suffering and torment and what Jesus called outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's all humanity had to look forward to. But Jesus delivers us from that because he became like us. Next, as you're looking at the passage, it says in verse 16, for indeed, Jesus does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Back to this whole God, angels, humanity thing. Jesus became a little lower than the angels, the Bible says, so that he might taste death for everyone. And the help that he provides, brothers and sisters and friends, is for one specific group of people and only one. It is for the seed of Abraham, not even angels sharing the benefits of what Jesus has come to do. Only the seed of Abraham. And did you know something? 
In the first century, people thought that the seed of Abraham was those who have been born physically from Abraham's descendants, the physical Jews. But the New Testament tells us that when we repent of our sins and when we are baptized, we experience a new birth, John 3 verse 5, and we become, hang on, Abraham's seed, Abraham's descendants. Galatians chapter 3 verse 29, if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So when you were baptized, you became a descendant of Abraham. By faith in Jesus Christ, you became part of his offspring. And Jesus gives aid to the offspring of Abraham. That's those who have repented and been baptized and are living a faithful life following Jesus Christ. He gives aid, he blesses us. What kind of blessings does he give us, by the way? What kind of aid does he give us according to verse 16? He doesn't give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. I'll tell you one thing, Jesus gives us forgiveness of sins. Angels don't have access to that, doesn't appear. But Jesus will forgive your sins. Jesus will help us in our lives. He understands what we're going through. The Bible says he offers grace and mercy to help in time of need. He gives aid to the seed of Abraham. That's the church. And then as you look at this passage, the effects of his his incarnation, look at verse 17. (coughs) Therefore, in all things, Jesus had to be made like his brethren. There it is again, the incarnation of Jesus. He had to be made like his brethren so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, there's that idea of suffering again, being tempted, he is able to aid those who also are tempted. Who is Jesus? He is a high priest. He stands before the face of God right now today and he argues our case. And he is able to be both merciful and faithful. Let's just talk about those words for a second. Merciful. Jesus understands what we're going through. He understands what we're going through. You know, there's a lot of talk in our world today about privilege and about people that have advantages and people that have, you know, certain blessings and things like that. And, and the argument goes like this, certain people are privileged in certain ways and they can't really understand the experience of someone who does not enjoy that privilege. That's the argument and how it goes. Can I just say, you can never, never, ever say that about Jesus. You can't say that Jesus had some privileges and advantages and because of who he is, he can't really understand me. He doesn't understand what I'm enduring and what I'm going through and what I'm experiencing. He doesn't understand me. He is a merciful and faithful high priest and the Bible is making the argument that Jesus understands us perfectly. He knows every little thing about us and he knows what hurts us and he knows what causes us to struggle and Jesus is able to help. And what the world needs now in all this obsession about who has privileges and who doesn't, what the world needs now is to turn its eyes to Jesus, our merciful and faithful high priest. He understands. Even if people around me don't understand, and even if they never will understand what I've been through, Jesus does. That's what the Bible's saying. 
And when we think about the fact that he became one of us, we can never say, nobody gets me. We can never say, nobody knows what's going on in my life and what I've been through. We cannot say those things, it's not true. Jesus, the merciful and faithful high priest understands. And as the church, brothers and sisters and friends, we need to speak with a clear voice and point people who are talking about this stuff to Jesus. They need him, they need to know him and they need to appreciate what he knows and what he does for us. Are you hearing me? Get out of the politics and get out of all that garbage and think about who he is and what he's done because the passage is saying he came to live a life that is a pattern for us. He came to live a life of suffering and by that suffering, he found glory from his heavenly father. And what we have done is we've come into this world and we are just to follow his footsteps, his pattern. He's a merciful and faithful high priest and he will help us every step of the way because he understands us. He knows what we're going through. He knows what we've been through and he knows what we're going to go through. He is able to minister and help every one of us. He's the one we need. We need to listen to the scriptures and we need to turn our eyes to Jesus because when we put our eyes and our focus anywhere else besides him, we are going to fall miserably short of the will of God. He is our pioneer, he is our savior, he is one of us, our sympathetic high priest. How we need as the church in modern times today when there is all kinds of things being said, how we need to point people to him. I don't understand what some of your experiences have been. I'll just admit that. I don't know some of the things that some of you have been through, but I know somebody who knows everything about you. He knows what's going on with you and let's follow him together. Let's turn our eyes to him and let's think about how we can all become more like him. And you know what? In doing that, we're gonna find not division, but unity. In doing that, we're gonna find not strife, but togetherness and brotherhood. In doing that, we're gonna find not rancor and people being ugly to each other. We're gonna find kindness and mutual sympathy and empathy. How we need to look to Jesus. That's what the passage is saying. The effects of his incarnation are profound. I can look at death differently. I can look at the devil differently. I can look at who I am differently and what Jesus is able to do. And I can look at him and know that he understands. People need to hear this, brothers and sisters and friends. People need to know that Jesus did things the hard way. He came to this world and he lived and learned from the school of hard knocks. There is nobody who ever suffered like him. And he invites us to follow him. And that's our plea together as the church here in Katy. Let's follow him. Let's do what he says. Let's obey his voice. He is a wonderful and merciful savior to us all. And he's faithful, not just merciful, but faithful as a high priest. He always shows up and he never lets us alone. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to know that there's a better way. You need to know that there is someone that you can follow and it makes sense and it's logical and you could be close to God and have a relationship with him. Jesus is the one, nobody else. Jesus is the one. Put your trust and your hope and your faith in him. Repent of your sin, be baptized in water and you become Abraham's offspring, you become a brother 
He's not ashamed to call us brethren when we do that. You become a child of God. He's not ashamed to call us his children when we do that. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. If we can help you to do that this morning, if you need to respond and ask for prayers, whatever your need, if you want to make that known publicly, won't you come down the aisle while together we stand and while we sing.